Hello and welcome to the Believe Crew podcast. The business is you. I'm Jamie White, founder of Believe Crew and your host. Let's jump right in. Welcome to today's podcast. I have Allison O'Brien here with me and I know that uh, when her and I first connected and she was sharing her story, I was like, okay, it's time. We need to connect again. I don't want to hear all of this. I want to dig into it on the podcast. So I think we're going to learn together uh, what it is that feels so special and just um, really wanting to connect with others on their journey, you know, of becoming a coach or growing and healing or whatever it is that we kind of dig into today. It feels like wherever the conversation goes, it needs to go. So Allison, do you mind introducing yeah. yourself and uh, sharing with everyone a little bit more about what you do? Sure. Absolutely. Thanks, Jamie. Um, well, I'm Allison O'Brien. I'm just outside of Boulder, Colorado. I When people ask me, what do you do? Sometimes I'll just very simply, very high level say, well, I, I teach listening. And they're like, what? What, what is that? mean. And so the long and the short of it is I'm a workplace communication consultant and I have a special focus on helping individuals, leaders, and teams identify through science, preferentially what type of information they tend to listen to and for and what type of information they might unintentionally overlook or filter out. Where that becomes relevant is in how we work and collaborate with other people, not just in, in the work environment, but also in our, our lives outside of work with the people that we love most. And some of that preferential listening behavior can explain some of the impasse that we come up against when we're trying to collaborate, make high stakes decisions, interact with our partner, our children, our siblings, our parents, all of that. We make a lot of assumptions in communication based on the way people share information, the way they ask questions, um, what they really hone in on. And, and so that's my work and my purpose is helping people come away with tools to live better lives because so much of what we do depends on communication constantly. So, okay. So the deep that's question what I is, yeah, the deep question is, what did you find out about yourself when you first started digging into this? Oh. Okay. So when I transitioned into this career roughly 10 years ago, whew, what I learned um, was that I had this third party gaze on myself constantly in terms of fear of how I would be perceived at times in communication. And what I found in observation of myself and the way I, I communicate at that time was that I was very, very careful, overly careful in terms of evaluating what and how I should say what was important to me. And um, I, I, I learned that that was in, in big part because of the relationship that I was in at the time. I also learned that um, I had to really reevaluate my relationships, mm -hmm. which ones I needed to 
maintain and which ones I needed to move on from. Um, but wow, that question got really deep, really fast, yeah. Jamie. That's what I want to know. I want to know. Ten years ago when you're starting, now remind me, what did you do before before this? Oh, gosh. So prior to this, I've had a couple of careers, but um, I, I, my degree is in exercise physiology. So I spent 10 years in that field. And then my second career, uh, when I had children, I kind of fell into it. It was in more, uh, mortgage lending, residential mm-hmm. mortgage lending. Um, mm-hmm. And that's a whole other story. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yes, that's, that's where I was, uh, was before before working in, in communication and workplace communication. So you were in mortgage lending at this time you were married I with was. two kids. Yes. Two children at the time. I was trying to do the math and remember when did yeah. the second one come around and then, yeah. Yeah. So yes, married two children. Yes. And so which came first, the next career change or the, the relationship shift <laughs> there were it, the timing was didn't it wasn't exact but um i switched careers first okay, okay. and three months later mm. left my marriage what changed everything everything changed so i mean i think a, bi- a big part of this discussion is why did I leave the mortgage industry and enter into a brand new career where I had absolutely no education, training, um, background? So yeah. that's a big, that's a, probably yeah. a big part of it for sure. And, but I think, and, I think that's somewhat normal in the coaching industry. And I mean, I'm feeling that where I, like I had all this other experience and doesn't all necessarily translate. And yet it feels like we're called to something different and kind of growing and uncovering ourselves personally. Um, it just feels like it's part of the process. Yeah. You know, and I think also potentially kind of that point in life and age was part of it too, you know, where we, and I think this is really true for women, especially we find ourselves at times in a place where we feel dissatisfied with where we're at because we're not in alignment with what we either profess is really important to us or we're not in alignment with truly what our gifts are or what our purpose is. And that was certainly true for me. I, I was in a place prior to my massive career shift and taking on risk and change at this existential level. But I, I was in a place where I was barren spiritually, emotionally, um, I was really miserable and I was under so much stress. I was incredibly successful in my work and in my job. I made a lot of money. I had a great sphere. I had tons of business 
And I was so stressed constantly that I was rarely present with my kids and my family. I, it, it felt like I had a mosquito buzzing in my ear and a pull towards work when I was playing with my kids. I just couldn't be present. And I had this sense that if I kept going in the way that I was going, I would be sick. Wow. I truly believed if I don't make a change, I will get cancer. Oh my word. That is exactly what I thought and exactly what I believed. Like I thought I was the only one that thought that, but it was probably close to 34, somewhere in there. And I remember yeah. thinking, cause my mom had been diagnosed with cancer at 39 and then died at 44. And at the time that she was dying, I remember thinking like, how do you get to that point? Like, how do you get to the point of cancer? <laughs> and at 34, I was so exhausted and I was so drained, but I didn't know what, I mean, like the way that you're describing it now, like physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, it's all wrapped up into one. There isn't, there, it's not separate, you know, even though I thought, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what I thought before. And I just remember having a thought, if I keep thinking and feeling like this, I could get cancer in five years and something needed to change. I mean, wow. I had the same thing. And for me that it was the same thing, five years, I thought. And if in five years I haven't made a change and I'm still in the place that I am right now today, shame on me for seeing the writing on the wall, for having this sense of everything that I'm missing out on now. And if I don't make a change and five years has gone by, I, I mean, I just didn't want to be in that place of judging myself for that, for not having the courage to do something. Now, along yeah. with that was this overwhelming sense of, but I don't know what I want. I don't know what I want to do. I didn't feel like I was credible. I didn't feel like I had the experience on paper that anyone would look at and say, I want to hire this person because they have gifts to bring to our organization. I mean, I really, truly didn't believe that um, and, and had no idea what I wanted to do. I was so tired, like you said, so exhausted. I didn't really have any passion for anything. I didn't know what I was committed to or what I, however, I had I have this real visceral recollection of where I was and this image in my mind of where I was when I had a very specific conversation with a good friend. I was sitting on my front porch on a wicker chair with a cushion, and we were having this discussion about how miserable I was in my work and that I knew I needed to make a change, but I didn't know what I wanted. And I said, you know, what I know to be true for me is that at my core, I'm a teacher. Right? And that through my work and, and what I, what I do and what I give, you know, I, I help people learn something that, um, helps them. And I said, what I know to be true is, you know, what I, what I want is for people to be on the receiving end of my work and take something away that allows them to live a better life, 
to be happier, to have some kind of tool of empowerment to live better. And so I said that out loud and I had no idea what that really looked like other than I, I knew I had this gift of, of helping people um, learn something that they could That's take amazing. away. And yeah. it's kind of um, interesting to me because I think the, the mortgage business, um, from what I'm aware of, there's a lot of burnout, especially now, like it wouldn't have gotten better, right? <laughs> With everything that was coming. Um, and, but, but like you said, though, you had the money, but you still weren't present and you weren't feeling, because I've thought about that sometimes, you know, when we're in that place of, um, you know, maybe thinking that money can solve the problem. I know I like to plan things. And so if yeah. I don't feel like I have the financial capacity to plan what I'd like to plan, then I use that as an excuse, you know, that's holding me back. But really the reality is there are so many things that I can plan within what I'm capable of or with, with within what we have to work with. Um, a lot of times the fact that we have six boys is probably more of a limiting factor than, than actually the financial piece, but, or time, you know, like it doesn't matter what that is for people that we believe that we can't do something, but what you're speaking to is so deep because it's talking about alignment with our purpose. And that is what I didn't know but that's a hundred percent what I believe today is that my energy, like I have tons of energy now and it comes from being completely aligned with what I love to do. And with, I mean, yeah. I'm still uncovering more of what that is and more of what I'm capable yeah. of. But once I started stepping into my alignment, my true core values, understanding who I am and how I'm called to serve. And now, you know, helping others with that too, because ultimately that's part of my gift and part of my calling. Yeah there's so much energy. It doesn't matter how much I sleep. <laughs> like before it didn't yeah. matter how much I slept. I couldn't shake off the exhaustion. Now I have so much energy. I can sleep for four hours and go all day. It doesn't matter. Yeah. I wish I was there with you. I need my eight, my seven, seven and a half to seven forty-five. Um, yeah, that's, I might that's have cool. a catch up day or two. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and to be fair, I mean, there was a certain aspect of my work in the, the mortgage business that actually really did fuel me. In, at that time, I really did love working specifically with women who were going through divorce and helping them to find that next place. And part of that was because I was educating them on this process and this skill that they were going to need lifelong that most of them actually hadn't ever really tapped into or learned previously because whoever it was that they were in partnership with before had kind of taken the reins on that. So for the first time, there were, you know, they were in the position to be empowered financially in a way that they weren't previously and make decisions um, that they hadn't had to make before because typically they would just show up and sign the documents. So the educating piece of what fuels me that that learning um, piece, there, there was some of that. However, the industry had become so fear-based and non-commonsensical that it was really challenging for me to stay aligned. For me, the I didn't even realize that in articulating my purpose out loud in that way, I think allowed it to manifest. Absolutely. 
art articulating it in a way that was really broad enough to speak to purpose without pigeonholing industry role position etc mm -hmm. does that make sense did i articulate that well yeah yeah no absolutely and so i want to think back again to this moment on the wicker chair where you're saying this yeah. and what i heard you say is that you you just sort of verbalized and mm -hmm. in the end manifested what um was to become part of your future and the other piece too in that manifesting is helping um, become aware that when it does show up, we recognize that this is what we were looking for. So funny that you said that because I think it was maybe a week or two later, I went to an event with a friend and this friend of mine had about a year earlier left the corporate world in, in, in consulting work, um, in communication consulting work, but she worked for a, a large firm that worked primarily with Fortune 500 companies. And she went off on her own because she also decided, you know, I don't really care if Coca-Cola makes this machine that has a hundred different flavor options. I want to work with companies that are a little bit smaller and doing good in the world. And so she went off, did her own consulting work. And we went to an event together and she said to me, um, gosh, I'm at the point, Allison, where I really need to hire someone part-time and man, I wish it could be you. Um, but I know you'd never do it because of the money. And, um, and it's, and it's part-time. And I, I said to her, you know, well, what are we talking about in terms of money? And she told me, and if I had been drinking something, I would have spit it out, right? Because I made more as a waitress at a breakfast restaurant in college than she was able to pay someone anyway. Um, and, and I just said, yeah, you're right. <laughs> you know, I, there's no way when I was driving home from that event and I can still see where I was driving on Arapahoe road, just outside of Boulder, where I started crying and full on tears. And I was crying and I thought that's exactly what I want. I want to go in that direction. That's where I, I want my career trajectory to end up. And the only reason that I wouldn't do it is because of money. And um, I thought of something that I had read a couple of years before in, in a book called The War of Art. And uh, it was a page on resistance. And, you know, what is it that keeps us or prevents us from doing that thing that or making that change that we want to make. And it, it talked about the root of all resistance being fear. And when we're paralyzed by fear, it means it's an endeavor we have to undertake for the growth of our soul. And so I'm crying, driving down Arapahoe Road and thought about that couple of sentences that I had read and decided in that moment to step into that paralyzing fear and leave my very high paying job and step into something terrifying. So, wow. Uh, yeah. So I went home. So then how did you go from completely um, shifting the financial space? I mean, you stepped into that fear, but then you, then you shifted in your relationship after that. So when you're in yeah. a not good place financially, <laughs> you were like, <laughs> 
I'm going to take on all the fears. I'm going to take on all the resistance all, all at the same time. Let's do this. Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, I think there, there was some benefit to, um, you know, having done well enough for several years to have a little bit of a cushion. Granted, I am the daughter of um, first generation immigrant who's, you know, my, my grandparents lost everything when they came to this country. So I have a culture, a, a familial culture of fear around money. Um, I, I had a little bit of a cushion, which, you know, and, and then my husband at the time did fine and we had health insurance. And, and so, you know, what I, what I did was really just initially shifted, um, financials gave up things that really were not that important to me, but had become routine, right? Um, eating out, conveniences because we had no time, um, you know, things that changed a, a cell phone plan, got rid of cable, that kind of thing. It's amazing when you really look at the, what you spend money on, how much you can save if you cut back on certain things. So that was that was step one when I quit, quit my job initially. Um, getting deep into the, the work in communication and listening and conflict. And that was what had me really turn an internal gaze on kind of who I had become over the previous 10 years and the voice that I, I really no longer had in my relationship. So that internal gaze and somewhat assessment and judgment of kind of who I was in that moment and how authentic I was in communication had me really start to look at um, making that shift, being authentic, being honest, um, wow. to be, you know, I, I felt like a phony, really. Here, here we were presenting this kind of image to the world that was not accurate. And I no longer was okay living a facade. It was just a kind of a, a shift at that time to here it is all out there. And this is absolutely huge. Absolutely huge. I mean, this happens so was there any, curious, if you're willing to share, was there any point when you said, hey, this isn't working, where he said, I want to work on it now? Like <laughs> like the, the typical, maybe in my mind, stereotypical idea of like, oh, oh, yeah. now you want to work on it? <laughs> well, how real can we get, Jamie? Like, I'm, I'm okay being totally open and vulnerable, but like, are we okay That's what with we, your audience? This, okay. What this podcast is about is about exposing, uncovering what it's really like to go through personal growth changes. And the, and the podcast is called The Business Is You because ultimately whoever yeah. we are, you know, inside is what ends up affecting everything else. Okay, here we go. Game on then. My former husband and I had been in counseling six times over a 10 year period. And I had told myself 
many times over that 10 year period, you made your bed. You knew what you were getting into. You made your bed, you got to lie in it. And I started getting deeper into this work and realized, and and also, like I said, it could be age as well. I can no longer show up living this facade. And um, there was one moment where the switch flipped for me and there was no going back and I was quote unquote done and there would be no more working on it. And that was a moment where I didn't show up for my daughter in the way that she needed me to show up to protect her spirit, to protect her. I was frozen as a result of my former husband's kind of intimidating behavior with her. And I observed it and I didn't step in. And that was the moment where I saw myself from this third party gaze in a way that I knew that I was not who I wanted to be. And I, and I felt this responsibility to this person to nurture her. And I, and I was just embarrassed and disgusted with myself that I didn't show up for her in the way that I really believed she needed me. And I thought I cannot continue to go on in this way and I have to get my voice back. And so it was truly in that one moment of my daughter being yelled at for something so insignificant and being able to observe the trauma of that moment, the intensity of that moment for her. And I, it was just that, that moment right there that I said, I'm getting me back and I'm reclaiming the voice that I need to be the person that I want to be because right now I'm disgusted. Yeah, that's so powerful. And I think of so many times when I've been in a similar situation, what, what I chose was to believe that both of us could heal enough to become, you know, ourselves, you could say through the process, but it took so much more energy to do it with two unhealthy people. (laughs) Like, (laughs) Like, I think one is enough. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, I think if if I hadn't tried before Mm -hmm. then, it would have been a different story, but you know, six times in and out of therapy mm-hmm. with no, no real end right. result, yeah. you know, I was, I just, this, like I said, the switch flipped and I, I was done. That being said, um, I am so proud of my former husband for the way that he evolved. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Throughout the whole process. So, so me leaving our marriage was the best thing that could have happened for him in terms of personal Mm -hmm. growth and, and evolving into a really good, solid human. He was always a great dad. He had Mm -hmm. moments, right? We all have our moments, um, you know, where he didn't show up in the, in the way that he, he wanted to, but you know, at the heart of it, I mean, a good person, a good dad with some tendencies that here's how I'll say it. We had the best divorce 
And I'm so proud of it. <laughs> You're because not the only person I've interviewed that said that. Like the most thing that she's most proud of is her divorce. That's <laughs> she's like, and I loved him through it. Yeah. I, you know, I, I don't know if I'd go that far to say that. <laughs> um, it was really hard. It was really mm-hmm. hard. But um, I think what's so important in communication in general, especially challenging communication, is to show up in it with this awareness that we create a dynamic with other people in the way that we communicate. Mm. It's not me or him or, you know, we, we often want to blame someone else for communication issues. Right. But when we really show up in challenging communication, challenging relationships, and we own that we have brought something to it that created the dynamic. And that I think right there is so important when you're dissolving a marriage, right? That recognition that, wow, my dysfunction and his dysfunction in combination created this perfection, right? It's it's a level of insanity. I my husband and I um, work on belief systems, and so now I've gotten to the point where I can recognize when I'm triggered by something that happens because my reaction it's almost like I jump out of my body, you know, like I'm just ah cannot believe we're here again. And so I asked him to check in. He does healing work and checks in on beliefs, and I asked him to check in for me on um, this last thing that came up. And come to find out, I had a belief that it's a sin to not take ownership of the problem. And he had a belief that it's a sin to take ownership of the problem. And so we create this cycle of drama every time who's going to take ownership of the problem. (laughs) Like, oh my word. Well, and what if we were just to take ownership of our part of the dynamic? Right. Right. That it totally diffuses. Yes. It diffuses the whole situation. Yeah. I mean, it was perfect to, to have someone, me, in a relationship who shrinks and freezes in conflict, especially when there's anger involved, to be in relationship with someone who expresses anger really freely right. with intimidating right tone of voice, body language, et cetera. It's a per- perfect dynamic to bring mm-hmm. out the dysfunction in one another. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So you go from... Um, starting to learn about this to getting to apply it in real life through a divorce <laughs> you're getting on the job training oh, yeah. as they say 100% and so what's the first year like or the first 2 years like as you're following your passion and pursuing your purpose and you know are you starting to feel energized what happens it was the hardest 15 months of my life in some ways in that well and of course, you know, there, there's continuum, right? There's there's things that are so fulfilling and then other things that are so challenging and devastating. So it was the first time in my life that I wasn't just killing it professionally, right? I had never had an experience where I didn't take on a new role or new position or enter into something new where I wasn't immediately successful and blowing away the expectations in terms of trajectory, right? I was not, I had so much to learn. I wasn't producing. I wasn't anywhere close to being 
<laughs> not even a subject matter expert, but I wasn't competent for, for a long time. I had so much to learn. And so it wasn't even imposter syndrome because I, you know, I, I didn't know anything. And that was preventing me from being really, I had to go through that learning curve, right? So professionally, very difficult. That was very difficult on me emotionally, spiritually, as someone who has consistently had such a strong work ethic that they've seen fruits of that labor and that effort. It was very hard for me to not be productive and successful. You are nurturing Um, my soul listening to you. Because it was a similar experience. Yeah. 15 months of feeling like a failure, truly feeling like a failure. And every few months saying, I need to quit and get a real job that has benefits, right? To be frank. And so it was so hard. And the flip side is that I was present with my kids for the first time in many years without feeling constantly pulled by the pressure that came from external sources, right? The stress, I didn't have the same stress that I had previously. And this is a really interesting and and funny story. So I have worked from home pretty much my entire career. And so when I was working in the mortgage industry, my office was at home. Um, and so I was, I was there constantly, you know, I took my kids to school. I picked them up from school, but I was always home when I started working in leadership development. And when I made that career shift, I actually did go into an office about 20 hours a week. So I wasn't always home. And there were times where I wasn't home when the the kids got home from school, et cetera. And, and my daughter, one night, I remember she came into, this was probably three months in, she came into my bedroom and kind of flopped down on the bed and, you know, did one of these. And she's like, mom, you know what's so nice? And she goes, it's so nice to have you around more. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And she wasn't talking, I mean, to her around more clearly was, you hear me, right? I feel heard. I feel seen. You're present. It wasn't you're in the house. I mean, to her, it felt like I was in the house more because I was, I was there. It actually, I, I saw this, um, great quote recently that actually it, it says, um, being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, there's they're almost indistinguishable. Very true. Very true. Okay. And it's not the same as just like, I hear what you're saying or, yeah. you know, like repeating, you know, what the other person said or some of the tactics you could say that we're taught to say, like, um, you know, I had someone we were in the middle of a kind of dissolving the relationship you could say with the organization. And the email said, you know, I see you and I hear you or something that makes it seem like "Mm -mm, just FYI, that didn't work. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I have really visceral memories of being so stressed with my work pre-transition, right. That in conversations with my kids, 
I was looking at them. I was nodding. I was showing a level of engagement and support. And at the same time, listening for just enough so that I could say a question, but I really wasn't, I wasn't hearing them. I wasn't present with them, but I was showing all the signs yeah, that I yeah, was I've present. Read, I've read plenty of books while thinking about something yeah. else, <laughs> like to the kids, yeah. we read this book out loud to them. So it looks like we're spending quality time together without actually being in the moment. Yeah. 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 So I think, you know, for, for me, probably the, the greatest gift of this kind of massive shift and risk was really, truly learning to be present in a way that I, I hadn't been before. Yeah. You know? That's beautiful. So as you transition, as you went through your, what felt like a year of failure and, yeah. um, transition. You've been doing this for 10 years now. What is some of your favorite part? What is what you're learning today? You know, how do you feel about everything? Gosh, favorite part, most rewarding takeaways generally are when I observe or witness catharsis and transformation in others because a level of trust has been reached or a level of psychological safety has been achieved on a team because people have had the courage to be vulnerable enough, to be open enough, to really authentically share their opinion, their perspective. And when people really show up with courage and authentically share those on the receiving end, it's, uh, I heard a, a gentleman, Dr. Dotan Castro, recently call that the magic spiral. But when working with intact teams and individuals who finally get to that place where authenticity and vulnerability in communication becomes more important to them than the risk or the perceived risk of being honest and withholding because of that risk of consequence in their mind, that's where I get really jazzed about being somewhat of a conduit for that. That's beautiful. And I'm imagining myself, I think I was somewhere around 27 and I had been asked and invited to be on the local chamber board. And I thought only if you want an opinion, actually, I think I told her because <laughs> I thought I'd be good for that. And yet when I found myself in a room of, you know, 12 other CEO board level executives, I thought they're all in a place to make better decisions than me or have better ideas than me. And again, I was coming from a place of confidence, I thought, but in the room, I was the youngest. I was, you know, the least, you know credentialed, you could say being in small business, yeah. small family business, instead of you know whatever, putting, giving things meaning that didn't necessarily have meaning. And I did not have the voice that I expected to have. I just didn't say things. I didn't question things that I actually was questioning in my head. And um, I can only imagine if, you know, say someone like you was working with our group and to see half the room, 80% of the room, I mean, to be honest, 
probably a hundred percent of the room was in the same position I was in because it was ridiculous to get anything done. It was just yes men. Like we all just voted yes. That was the answer they wanted, you know? And so we didn't, there was one time we questioned something and I had done it behind the scenes because I didn't have the confidence to do it in the room. And so it was really not the person I wanted to be. You know, I wanted to be someone that could be vulnerable and authentic and ask the questions curiously in the room, but I didn't. So it would be super fun to see that transition in people. You know, I can, I can see how that would be beautiful to actually see teams working together to feel like it's safe to be able to ask the questions and really help build um, really my own self-worth or value to be able to say, it's fine. You can ask the question. Yeah. I mean, I've had some experiences where truly there were tears in a group training when a team finally sees the value in a colleague that they had dismissed previously simply because of some of the assumptions that they've made about them based on the way they ask questions, the language choices that they used, you know, to, to discount someone because of the assumptions that we make about them in communication is something that happens so frequently on teams and, and in workplace settings. And it gets in the way of really solving business problems, personality issues so frequently get in the way of solving the problems that um, lead to innovation, that, you know, creativity. So um, when I when I witness people appreciate others in new ways and and kind of leverage those differences, that's where, you know, I get really energized and feel that that sense of, yeah, this is, I am living my purpose now. That's amazing. Do you remember, out of curiosity, I think I had taken the assessment that you used. Do you remember any of my results or? Um... Absolutely. 100% <laughs> I do. Yes. Very, very high conceptual listening habit. And conceptual is this this beautiful ability to take in information through this lens of possibilities and potentiality, really future oriented. Our our highly conceptual listeners have this incredible gift for hearing patterns and similarities between things that seem to be at times disparate to others. I'll give you an example. I was in a leadership development uh, training with a team that had some conflict. And and one of the women on the team was, um, and this was told to me in confidence, perceived as impractical or, you know, just sometimes ideas coming out of left field, you know, and that, you know, she would lead the team on on tangents. Well, she was highly conceptual in her listening. And, and we were talking about a particular concept in um, leadership capability, I think it had to do with making clear requests and getting accountability systems in place, but she, she made a comment and her comment was comparing what we were talking about to basically the, the life cycle of a butterfly. And so she was talking about, you know, the caterpillar cocoon emerging from the cocoon into a butterfly and comparing it to 
this specific leadership capability. And it was such a perfect example of being highly conceptual. And it made so much sense to everyone in that moment. Like, oh, well, when Sarah is is sharing some of these ideas, it's because she sees something that we're not not seeing. So what if we create some boundaries or bumpers to allow her to ideate within? Now what's possible? Right? Oh, that totally speaks to me. I hear hear that. I don't I just absolutely you give me a couple of bumpers or a couple of parameters and then it's like I start to see it with clarity. This is where we're going. This is where you're going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's amazing. So, is there anything else that you feel has been left unsaid today? Gosh, no, I'm, I'm actually, you know, I'm a little sweaty from feeling so <laughs> exposed, but <laughs> thank you I'm for vulnerable. being so vulnerable. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> and, um, you know, and, and, and truly honest, um, about, you know, just that, gosh, misery and failure mm. and, self-assessment and judgment and boy i couldn't be more grateful for having that experience truly Mm -hmm. um because now in relationship the way i approach communication is completely different right whether it's a work relationship or it's a personal relationship my my husband now it's just that there is this commitment to stepping into fear at times. Wow. Right. That's powerful. And, um, and what comes from that when you really take risks, um, it's just a, it's a amazing what, when you get through to the other side of it and you look back and you, you look back at, at, what you did mm-hmm. with such reverence and and awe it's the coolest feeling right and it's the same thing whether i'm on my mountain bike or you know having left a career in a marriage i look back right. and go wow you know that was really really hard and i did it anyway and now i'm on the other side and i'm so grateful everything worked out and it was yeah. okay i'm okay now I did it and I'm okay. It's so beautiful. I've recently told my husband that the first 15 months of um, building this business is similar in my mind. I'm not sure which one I'd rather do. Um, Like having labor again, six times in a year. (laughs) He was like, whoa. (laughs) So like, but being able to look back with reverence and, you know, like it's so worth it. And yet being in it, it's just like, whew, this is a lot. Yeah. Well, you look back and you go, man, look at what I did. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Feel super strong, super woman. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you so much for this conversation. And thank you for being vulnerable. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.